0: Hello everyone. This is Barkay from DCville. DTCvil is an online community where we talk about direct to consumer brands, technologies and everything in the DTC space. Before jumping into the episode, I just wanted to tell you more about the weekly newsletter we have just started. By subscribing to it on slash newsletter you'll have an access to exclusive tips from successful DTC entrepreneurs, weekly insights from the industry and a vibrant community of D2C experts. You can find the link for subscribing to it in the description of this episode. So without further ado let's continue with our chat. Okay hello great people of the direct-to-consumer community this is Barakai, your podcast host and today we are together with Camille Barreto founder and CEO of we are Me Cosmetics. So hey Camille it's a great pleasure to have you today with us. How are you doing?
1: Doing very well, thank you. So, Such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me
0: today. You have great podcasting gear. Did you know that?
1: <laughs> yeah, I was whipped into shape by a few uh, podcast hosts who asked me t- to uh, improve our equipment. So we, we did. It's, it's good. It's cost effective. You can just pull it off Amazon for $100 or something, but it does help the
0: recording quality.
1: So hopefully it's helpful for you.
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, thank you for being here again. Uh, Camille, where are you dialing from? In Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. All right. So Camille, let me make a quick start to this podcast. Would you like to tell us a bit about yourself and your brand and your products, everything you would like to share with us?
1: Sure. That's that's an open-ended question, but I will try to keep it pretty short and succinct. So uh, like you said, I'm Camille Barreto. I am in the cosmetics industry as of 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, previously had a very long career in finance, mostly in banking in New York, London, and Latin America, um, mm-hmm. and prior to that in tech for four years so this is truly a brand that is born out of a personal passion because as you can see it's not the career path that one would typically have taken um, Mm -hmm. and end up in the cosmetic space you know a lot of folks go to l'oreal estee lauder they're considered like the universities for for beauty learn a lot of the very structured processes they have and then launch their brands um Mm -hmm. that's not really our path how i ended up here was in all of my years i'm in my late 40s now I have experienced a uh, permanent genetic hair loss condition that started in my early 20s, and was woefully, you know, underwhelmed by the products available, i.e., none, uh, virtually over the last, you know, 25 years or so to help with the cosmetic aspect of hair loss. Obviously, there are medications; those are completely different. This, uh, this is purely cosmetic, and so, you know, I always knew what I didn't like about things I was doing to make my hair look thicker, and um, because we were just jerry-rigging old different types of things, sprays and eyeshadows and Lord knows what else. And so I kind of knew exactly what I wanted things to look at. Like, And my husband, who is a real go-getter and very encouraging, he one day says, well, Ma- Camille, you know, you're complaining about all this other stuff you have to do and how you want it to be. Why don't you just go out and do it? And I looked at him like he was insane because I don't have an entrepreneurial bone in my body, so I thought. And I didn't come from a family like that. I come from a family of engineers who are good corporate soldiers, and that's what I've always been. and am very happy doing so.
0: And, and I thought husband- he was mad. Yeah. And your husband was like a Nike, go do it, like do it, do it, do it. Right? Yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. And so, you know, and you know how he finally convinced me when I was very reticent at first, he said, um, well, I think that's really selfish of you, Camille. And I looked at him and I kind of like perk up and I said, what do you mean? Cause he knows that service work is very important in my life. And so anybody who tells me I'm selfish, I kind of, you know, get all ruffled very quickly. And he said, you have ideas that can mel- help make other people's lives better and because it's hard or you're scared, you don't want to do it. So I looked <laughs> at him and I said, "All right, you you've got me."
0: <laughs> like yeah, he had a point. Really. So that's how
1: we ended up here. Yeah. So we launched our brand uh, in twenty um, twenty one, November twenty twenty one. Took a number of years to prepare and the run up uh, for the launch, mostly for formulating, um, mm-hmm. testing, and uh, making sure our supply chain is is tight. Uh, mm-hmm. And launched in november twenty twenty one to some great fanfare um what we've launched is a product that doesn't exist, so that's one of our biggest challenges i'm sure we'll talk about it later yep. on in the podcast but it's it's truly a new product category. There's a lot of innovation that happens in self care brands. Mm-hmm. that being said, you know unless you're using patented molecules or something, really it's about formulating design and the consumer experience and so You have to consider all of those aspects when you're launching a new product category. And that's the hardest part is to explain to people what in the world you do. Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, one of our biggest challenges that we, I think, have honed in really, really sharply, which is great. Um, Mm -hmm. So we launched a line of what we call Scalp Foundation, taking The concepts that we see in facial or body foundation as a complexion product, basically, which means evening out your skin tone or evening out the perception of what you have, like an eyebrow filler, for example, that would be kind of our closest proxy that people are familiar with and formulating it in a way that's designed for the hair and scalp and with a physical layout that is designed for easy application onto the hair and the scalp. So we had to take learnings and best of class ideas from lots of different places, put them Uh all together. And then we launched to this line. So the application tools are, you know, it's a set of brushes and uh, the compact itself is now offered in nine shades. And so we launched November, 2021. It was exciting. Um, I think the most exciting moment to date was for those who are familiar with the hair care industry, there's a very famous person called Jen Atkins. She's uh-huh. the founder of Way, which is a brand that sold, I think, to Procter & Gamble or earlier this year or late last year. Um, uh-huh. She's been the Kardashian hairstylist for ages. And uh-huh. she started an online collective community called Maine Addicts, Maine like a horse Maine, you know, M-A-N-E, um, which is over half a million professional hairstylists. Their journalists picked us up November 2021, right when we launched. Oh. And their journalists called us the best invention since sliced bread basically.
0: Yeah.
1: The best beauty invention what? since sliced bread. Why Because so, sliced- you never know what, what why why sliced-, sliced bread, I guess it's the U S well in the U S it's just a saying, you know, that it's a brilliant invention. So basically mm-hmm. something that seems so simple, but brings so much ease and joy in people's lives okay. and really is part of their day-to-day lives. So it was, it was really exciting. So we were kind of holding our breath saying, gosh, I hope they love these products. Um, and so that's how we launched. And so we're now, you know, almost Two years old and have had a lot going on over the last two years, which I'm very happy to discuss um, and have been able to reap the benefits of a lot of the hard work we've done since we've been cash flow positive since January 2023, which is exciting and somewhat unusual typically for um, for brands, especially when they're mostly focused on DTC, which we have been up until now. Yeah. So here we are. Yeah. <laughs> and we've been fortunate to have been recognized by a number of industry groups uh, and mm-hmm. have won some amazing awards, which is not easy as a small brand because a lot of publishers have moved to a lot of affiliate links uh, for revenue source for their their media outlets. Mm-hmm. And when you're a small brand and your volumes are going to be low, their affiliate sales and commissions from you are going to be significantly lower. Yeah. So um, then say, you know, Olaplex. Right. And yeah. so it's really hard sometimes to win a lot of these awards. Um, but we, you know, I think the publishers are very good in their processes um, the and, and very um, objective in the way that they look at things and the quality of products. And so yeah. When it's really been kind of the scientists and the folks who evaluate soup to nuts, the performance of the product to design everything, we find that, that you know, we've, it's been really exciting to be rewarded by the community in a number of different outlets by being recognized as a leader in the space or establishing a new space, for example. So, you know, it's been a great year, not without many challenges like everything, but so far so good. And I think we'll be around for the long haul, which is a commitment I make to our users because the women who use our products Many of them, I think, would it would be very hard for them if our products went away.
0: Yeah, like like Camille, I didn't want to interrupt you because your passion was so inspiring for the thing that you have built. That's why, like you know, I wanted to just listen to you, just listen to your story. And I kind of agree with your husband though. Just do it. It will be like it's funny, but it will be a bit selfish to take this from the public, keep this away. Like what I'm wondering really is that you're coming from a financial services perspective, like background. And you do not have any background in the beauty industry. On the other hand, you're experiencing issues like a hair thinning in your daily life. So this actually reminds me of one of our previous podcast guests, uh, Jennifer from Raw Kombucha. She at one point was diagnosed with a autoimmune disease. And she like mm-hmm. discovered this product called Kombucha Tea. And in a couple of years time, she actually started a very successful Kombucha Tea company. So this question is a two-parter. Firstly, how did your you know previous financial uh, background help you building your brand, and second, how the fact that you experienced the issues that your product solves helped you again building your brand?
1: Sure, those are great questions. Thank you. Yeah. So my background in finance um, was very useful in some aspects; completely yeah. irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> and and useless in other aspects. Yeah, but I think okay. in the sense that it's given me a lot of perspective. I think also combined with my age. So I mm-hmm. worked in tech during the tech meltdown. I worked in finance during the financial crisis. <laughs> and now I'm working in the CPG space during what we would argue is a very crowded CPG time and you know we're seeing consumer spending which is what this country relies on, you know, has a risk of potentially slowing down. So, mm-hmm. you know, those types of things have given me perspective as to the importance of Cash and cash flow, because mm-hmm. the, I see a lot of people, especially when their brands or companies or ideas are funded during times when you have lots of liquidity in the market, yeah. it can be very easy to over overcomp- Well, to, to oversimplify errors that are in your company and kind of gloss over them because it's, your access to capital makes it easy to kind of spend your way through a problem. But the perspective that it's given me is I know when, as Chuck Prince said back at, you know, at Citigroup, you don't want to be left when the music stops without a chair. Right. And, uh, you know, to give the the musical chairs kind of analogy. And so I have always been really laser focused on making sure cash flow, cash flow, cash flow is what we're focused on. And it doesn't look as sexy and it generally means you're not going to grow as fast. But I didn't want to have to rely on external capital um, because you know, it's been at over 10 years of liquidity. Now yeah. we're seeing the, uh, the the capital markets seizing up and people who had launched like me, say with friends and family angel or self-funded and are mm-hmm. going to do their series A or series B raise, et cetera, they are now finding it very difficult. And because their spending has been reliant on external capital mm-hmm. um, and their growth, better said, has been rely- relying on external capital, that makes it very difficult when you yeah. reach that point. And so it gave me the perspective of never forgetting that cash is king. And yeah. that's what I think allows me to sleep very well at night. It may be that we grow more slowly and it doesn't sound as sexy because I don't have splashy headlines about, oh, so-and-so raised whatever million dollars, because that brings a lot of attention to a brand. Yeah. So those are the downfalls. But on the plus side, I sleep well at night and we make money. So <laughs> and it sounds simple, but it's been very helpful.
0: Like You don't have splashy headlines, but you won't have like in two or three years time, the headlines that saying we are me cosmetics is going under, right? This is, this is the correct.
1: (laughs) Correct. And no, never, never never say never. I'm not going to be too presumptuous, but at the same time, yeah, I think that's kind of the idea is it's easy to rely on external funding and when, when the capital's flowing, but when the music stops, you got to make sure you can still, you can still dance. So, um, so, and then to your second question, my personal experience, that's actually probably what's helped more than anything. Um, for a couple of reasons. People who experience hair loss, and I don't want to overgeneralize, but I think there are some pretty common generalizations that are fair to make, mm-hmm. um, is very emotionally distressing. It can be certainly emotionally distressing for men. It is extraordinarily emotionally distressing for women. Um, yeah. It's something that historically nobody has talked about. When I was in 22, 23, and that was over two, you know, two and a half decades ago, that mm-hmm. meant that I was on my own. There were no online forums. There was no social media. Derms didn't care. Doctors didn't care. Most didn't know. And, you know, so it was a very difficult time. Um, Because I have that empathy and knowledge about really what it feels like to go through the trenches of the emotional distress of hair loss, I'm able to connect pretty well with customers. They know I've danced the dance. They know I have experienced it. And they know I've slumped down in my shower, just like they have when they have a bunch of hair falling out of their hand, you know, and cry. You know, so, and not to be Debbie Downer, but I think it's really important to acknowledge when something is difficult for folks. A lot of folks will say, well, it's okay. You look pretty anyway. I said, yeah. If you, Telling somebody they look pretty and them feeling pretty are two very, very different things. And yeah. that the second is really what matters most, is the, how the person feels, not what you tell them how they should feel. And so yep. that's really helped. Then with the logistics and just you know the design and use of the product, that also lent itself to making a product that was extremely user-friendly and hit the main points that all of our old school ways of concealing our hair loss, which was using things that were not designed for that, adapting them, and then using them for that. You know, and settling for that outcome and that solution that you don't have to do that anymore. And you know, this problem you had dealt with it in this design, you know, that problem with doing this dealt with it in the design. So it's been really helpful from twofold, not just the emotional aspect, but also the physical design of the product. And also I think want to add one more thing would be how to really explain to a person how it works and the impact it has in a very short frame of time. I'm sure you have a lot of folks. I've listened to a couple of the podcasts, but I haven't had the, the pleasure of listening to them all yet. Um have, you know, mentioned that we have a very short window of opportunity to catch somebody's attention, explain what we do, and convince them that we're the best at what we do. Those are not easy feats. People have the attention span of a flea, right? So I certainly do. Um, people aren't on every platform. You know, you got to meet your customers where they are. You got to figure out where they are, and so in that sense, it's also allowed me to really whittle down very quickly because I know the biggest pain points I have to hit very quickly in any sort of video or mm. um, visual or any sort of ex- explanation of things. So hopefully, that's a helpful yeah. explanation of those two aspects. Yeah. But that's yeah. where I found the most the most benefit.
0: Yeah, it is. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that. Like Camille, you you talk a lot about the cash flow positive. Uh, like the fact that you are trying to cash flow positive, but how are mm-hmm. you managing this? This is, Isn't this a hard thing to achieve in this day and, day, day and age?
1: Yeah, I think for a few reasons. One is we were very strategic because we're fully self-funded and bootstrapped. We were very strategic about where we spent our money. And mm-hmm. I do, while, while I don't know a lot about the industry, well, now I know a lot more, but at the time I didn't know much about the industry. I'm a pretty yeah. good study, pretty quick study and so yep. I like to observe things very quickly. And what I started to see was that every new brand coming out was a celebrity brand, right? In some way, yep. shape or form, either a fair, famous makeup artist, hairstylist, or just a celebrity in their own right, in their own discipline, right? So if it's yep. Ariana Grande or Selena Gomez or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. so I said, well, I don't have star power and I don't have a huge influencer. Follow- I don't have a following. I'm not an influencer. So how do I do this? Right. And so I knew we had to spend the marketing dollars we had on getting our name out there in a way that works very well with consumers, which is through celebrity. So we decided to find a fantastic celebrity partner. Right. So that was a huge win. A lot of people might spend all that money on digital advertising, probably come up a little short in the end when you can try to make, you know, splashy headlines, because then the outlets want to cover you. You know, media wants to cover you. Everybody gets very excited because They don't really care about the brand so, so much. They care more about the celebrity. And so that, I think, was um, a key decision that we made to spend more funds there or doing a press event, which for a young brand like ours is nearly unheard of, where we flew out beauty editors and influencers um, who are well-known in the beauty space uh, to a trip so they could get to know the brand in a small, intimate environment. So I think that those two things have been very helpful and have made it so that we don't rely on digital marketing as our only growth strategy. you know that's allowed us to to get on the map um, without having to do a whole bunch of cash outlay that's an ongoing huge cash outlay, which is only yeah. getting bigger and bigger for a lot of brands.
0: Yeah, I understand. Like, I mean, that's a great strategy. So you mentioned those celebrity brands. Like I know Rihanna has one and I think it's quite successful just because Rihanna is promoting on her social media. Like you didn't have the resources those people had. And you made this white decision wise decision to go with the celebrities. But who is your celebrity, by the way? You mentioned that you found this perfect celebrity for promoting your yes. brand. Who so for those
1: who for those who are uh, who are Bravo reality show fans, and there are a lot of them out there, yeah. um, there is a very well-known, you know, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And one of yeah. the main characters or participants there is Lisa Vanderpump. She and her husband own a series of restaurants, amongst other businesses, and they launched a series on Bravo called Vanderpump Rules over a decade ago. And Mm -hmm. one of the main cast members, Sheena Shea, who's been on it since the first season, um, was very publicly struggling with hair loss after her child was born. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it was a perfect fit. Uh, it worked out very, very well. And it tapped into a really huge audience, especially reality stars are typically known for being quite transparent and authentic for better or for worse. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so I think it also lends itself to people believing folks because they'll say, hey, you know, this person has no qualms about putting their, the good, the bad, and the ugly of their life out on public cameras for everybody to consume and making themselves really vulnerable out there. And so I think that lends itself to believing somebody more when they're endorsing a product. Not to say that you shouldn't believe other folks, but I think that it just adds more validity to to that partnership. So Sheena was a partner that was just a very natural partner to work with. Uh, We're no longer formally um, partnered together. They got picked up for another season. I wouldn't be able to afford her work (laughs) more than that. But what she did for us was and continues to, she truly is a user of our products. Like she's really not BSing anybody. She truly uses them. So um, so it's been, that was a great partnership for us.
0: And like what made, like you already mentioned this a bit, but what made this partnership work? Like, is is it the fact that is she already like, she's already using your product or something else? Like, can you give us some tips for successful partnerships?
1: You have to find somebody who really is experiencing the pain point you're solving, because right. if it's just somebody who happens to have great hair telling you how to make their hair look thicker, it's going to be hard to take that at face value too much. Right. Um, So if you have to find somebody who's really got the exact pain point, whether it's, you know, a celebrity who's gone through a medical condition that people may not have known of, and they share that in a campaign with somebody that is a making them very vulnerable um, Mm -hmm. and open to criticism because people will get attacked for caring about the way they look. I don't think that's a legitimate reason to attack anybody. I think we all care about feeling good about the way we look. That's just defined differently for different people. That's all. Um mm-hmm. and so I think that's the thing you've got to get when you find a partner. Once you've got that and you know that they've got the 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 kind of got the attention of the audience that is a good match for your product. You know, and you can get financial terms that are agreeable because, you know, I'd love to hire Bethany Frankel. I probably can never afford Bethany Frankel. (laughs) Who knows? Bethany, if you're out there, you want to do me a solid, I'll take it. Um, (laughs) I'll take any help. But, you know, you've got to find folks um, as well. And so just the stars aligned perfectly. and, um, And we didn't overextend ourselves. We found somebody who was passionate and truly uses our product. And so that's why she actually she would end up on big podcasts or on her social media posting about us and talking about us when she was never contracted to do that. Mm. So that's been, I think, a true testament to finding the best partners—the people who were going to say they love you anyway, right?
0: Um, And you just give them
1: a little extra incentive to to align your interests.
0: Yeah, I understand. Like that sounds like a great partnership. So once you signed the deal, what were the next steps? You know, how did you proceed with this partnership?
1: So generally, when you're bringing on an influencer or celebrity partner, you're going to create uh, project briefs for the different types of content t- content you want them to create, because that's typically contracted into uh, your agreement, as well as you know ability to whitelist advertisements on their platforms and do all of those things that folks are pretty yeah. familiar with. I think the biggest interesting point for us was generally in those product briefs, it can be extremely detailed and specific mm-hmm. as to what a person needs to say, not say, how to say it, et cetera, et cetera. Our project briefs are, if you ask any of the influencers we work with, are very loose because mm. I know I cannot have anybody look our audience in the face and tell them something scripted, right? It might be, yep, just make sure you mention it's waterproof. That's totally fine, obviously. But if I tell them everything to say what they love about it, what they don't, that's not going to sound very authentic, especially if everybody's just rattling off the same thing, right? So, um so, because you're generally not just working with one. Uh, You've got, also got a huge army of, of amazing UGC content creators that you're partnering with. And so for us, the most interesting thing is our project briefs are actually extremely loose and open-ended. And they'll say, well, what do you want me to record? And I'll just say, okay, you know what? We're here, maybe talk about how you use it throughout your day. And so she did a bunch of clips in stories, which she was in the bath with her daughter running on the treadmill, like stuff she does. Right. I said, Hey, jump in a pool. She goes, I don't get in pools and everybody knows who knows me knows I'm going to be lying if I'm getting in a pool and like jumping with my hair wet and all this stuff. So, so that was kind of funny. So we just found other ways to kind of get the whole point of waterproofness across, for example, but that's been the easiest thing for us is that because it's a genuine user who really uses the product, in a way that is effective in their day-to-day lives and makes them feel a lot better. We didn't have to be very specific in our project briefs. And I think that lent itself to very authentic sounding content, which you'll hear the word authenticity thrown around a lot, but I think it needs to be thrown around a lot more, frankly, because I think people use it, but you got to remember what it actually means. And so to me, that was the biggest testament of true authenticity was... Yeah, sure, obviously I've got to vet the video before we post it, but we didn't have any re-edits. We didn't have any edits or re uh re recordings of any content that that Sheena recorded for us. Not a single one.
0: I understand. Like it's it's getting better and better like when you t- when you tell us more about it. So like you mentioned that you have worked with more than one uh influencers. So the the mm-hmm. reason that the last one worked really good for you is that like she is a genuine user. She is showing videos uh, that is coming from the real case use of your product. So uh, mm-hmm. my question now would be like, did, the, was there a time when a partnership did not really work for you? And what was the reason for that, if there was any?
1: You know, it's a good point. We haven't had any partnerships that don't work for us. The I think that's largely because of the way we find our UGC partners. Mm-hmm. Um, they find us. We basically tried to make ourselves discoverable for them. So we're on, you know, TikTok shops and their affiliate program. We're on Shopify collabs, which is a fantastic platform that I think not nearly enough small brands are taking advantage of. Um, and that's basically automating all of their backends, you know, commission um, types of calculations and payouts and everything like that. Um, mm-hmm. And so for us, we've been really lucky because. Because we've allowed folks, we haven't gone out and looked for influencers other than Gina. Everybody else has been inbound, has requested us for PR. Um, and so um, as a small brand, that's been really helpful because the people who find you generally are looking for something for a particular reason. Um, and yeah. so when they find us, it's uh, it's been really helpful in that sense. So we are fortunate that we haven't had any issues. I would just say probably because we work mostly, almost exclusively with what you call micro and nano influencers. Um, because we don't really pay for much of our content. Very little of our content is is uh, has some sort of financial remuneration up front. Mm. Um, and... Those folks may not have the best equipment or not understanding that the lighting, you know, the way it hits, if you put it on your social media page, is going to look atrocious, right? So yeah. we definitely have content that comes in because it's so genuine and because it's from folks who just aren't, you know, professional influencers. Not that there's anything wrong with being professional influencer. Those are fantastic partners, too. But, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the with professional influencers, they're going to have great quality content. The micro influencer is yep. not as much. So, we do do a lot of editing, but Canva solves most of our problems with color filters and things. If something comes back with some, like, wow, that's a really bright blue. I know the sky is blue that day, but if you put it on our social feed, it looks awful. So, <laughs> you know, we'll filter the sky so it doesn't look quite so thing. So, you know, that sense, that's probably our most challenging piece, but we've been lucky we haven't had any issues with kind of a failed partnership.
0: Knock right. on wood. Okay, fingers crossed there won't be any in the future, too. Uh, so, Camille, like you mentioned, uh, TikTok Shop and Shopify Collab. I took notes of them. Uh, could you tell us more about those? Like, are they, how are they working for them? Sure.
1: Yeah, so Shopify Collabs, it's basically a Shopify app itself um, yeah. that they uh, created and launched in the past year. That's a discovery platform where third-party collaborators can request to become a UGC partner for you or just some sort of business partner uh, in some capacity. For us, it's obviously a UGC creation. Um, And, uh, and then you review, you set up your application, you know, the questions you want them to answer, they answer the questions, you go look at their social profiles, are they a good fit, and by good fit, you know, I'm not looking for a particular user, I don't think I need to dictate to the world how to use our product or who should use Mm -hmm. it, I think the world needs to tell us how they like using the product, and who they are, right. And so, um, so we leave things very open-ended and we get folks who are a 20 year old cheerleader at whatever college to a 75 year old, you know, cancer survivor whose hair just was never quite the same after, um, after it grew back. Um, yeah. And so, so that platform is fantastic because it allows you to screen. It's easy to plug in with third-party apps. You have always got to be a little careful with Shopify mm-hmm. and unless you have a big IT team, you can have some issues with building a tech stack with third-party app. So that's a great, easy win for small brands that I love to share with everyone. And then TikTok, obviously, to come up and compete with all the other platforms, launch their TikTok shops and their affiliate network on TikTok. And it's a similar platform. It's a discovery platform where it's just all streamlined for them to reach out to a brand, get connected with the brand, get PR from a brand. And then if they choose, because we never require anybody post anything about us Mm -hmm. um, unless, uh, unless they feel like it, we also just can't afford it. Frankly, I can't afford to pay everybody to you know, put it on their platform. So we just say with the goodwill, the good, gr- good graces of God, hopefully they'll love the product to post. And they many times, the vast majority do, you know, you just hope they tag you. You ask, Hey, can you tag this, that, and the other? So you just try to be scrappy and do everything in the lowest cost way while making things easy and streamlined and a win for your partner as well. And I think the issue with it, some pr- products may have is they're not very highly demonstrable. So that can be challenging like a skin cream, right? That's difficult to express on a video that's 20 seconds really what yeah. it does. Whereas for us, because it's a color cosmetic, i.e. makeup, and it's, you know, it shows really fast the change and you can put it on really fast. It lends itself to great content for them and content that they've never created before because you don't typically scroll and see a bunch of people applying makeup on their head. Whereas you do scroll and see a million people applying a new mascara, right? So yeah. it's been a win to also be a type of product that's just a really new product for folks. So it's worked out well. I'm all about being scrappy and just keeping your expenses as low as possible. So those platforms have been a great win for us. And I recommend them for every small DTC brand.
0: Yeah, it's great. So like, Camille, I have a lot more questions about this. But one last thing about marketing, really, is that you mentioned you have different sorts of channels that you're acquiring new customers, that you're creating brand awareness. Uh, Like we already talked about this before actually starting the recording, but Are you using any attribution tools to measure where your people, your users, your customers are coming from?
1: Yeah, I mean, for us, it's really kind of the the biggest data point for us are repurchase rates to understand. Because if you don't have repurchase of a product, you're done, right? Um, And so you need to make sure that it's something that's going to be repurchased. And so we track that quite carefully uh, and we've kind of bucketed our our users into three broad categories based on that, so we have a good idea of people spending patterns. They're pretty reasonably predictable after a certain amount of time. One mm-hmm. are our super users. They're people like me who you don't leave home without it. A lot of people, this is literally like brushing their teeth, getting dressed, putting on their and putting on their scalp foundation are like bare minimums for exiting their home. And yeah. so those are folks that we I call our super users. But it's me, you know, I if I go out without it, I feel naked. I literally feel naked. And so it's, it's, um, so that's one group and that's been great. And those repeat purchases are, are quite robust. Mm -hmm. Um, then you have a second group who are using it, but more for a small area or something. So they're not going to need a ton of the product because we do have a lot of product in our fill. And, um, and so those folks, we know they'll repurchase, but they'll probably repurchase much less frequently because they don't go through the product nearly as fast. You know, they're just dealing with temples or something that's just kind of more, more punctual. And then you have kind of your more short-term one-off users. So somebody who's got postpartum hair loss, right? Typically that is a temporary condition and most people's hair will grow back. It's a condition called telogen effluvium. Um, And so we know that those folks will likely never repurchase our products again. But let me tell you, when you've told a person who is extremely vulnerable and very upset about their hair, especially during a time like postpartum, and you solve that pain point for them and you give them one more shred of something that makes them feel better when it's a really challenging time, you're tired, the baby's yelling, you know, you don't know what you're doing most of the time, (laughs) they are your best advocates. So while they may not be your best customers, they become some of your very best partners because they will shout it from the rooftops if they can help anybody save themselves that pain and struggle. So we bucket them kind of in those three groups. And that's the data we look at. Obviously, you know, acquisition costs and things, it's kind of difficult to put attribution, especially when you're dealing with a lot of social media, um, because it's just hard to quantify which touch point converted somebody. And, you know, I'm sure you've had people on who've told you maybe between seven and 12 touch points. Everybody's kind of got their philosophy before somebody actually converts after they've seen you for the first time. Um, Yeah, or more, you know, kind of depends. And so uh so for us you know I find that difficult to quantify per- personally yeah. so we kind of yeah. look at our cohorts repurchase rates and that's really where we determine what makes sense in terms of spending on which group of different customers and yeah, how to target marketing because yeah
0: Yeah it it totally makes sense really uh like in in what warfare- if Like latest Instagram stories, I saw that you were saying that there was this new line of uh, brush coming and your customer were so in love with the product that you were almost out of stock. I know this is a funny way of connecting different topics, but based on that, could you give us a tour of your supply chain from production to end users?
1: Sure. Okay. Um, so we currently, so we, with beauty brands, you're going to have two groups of them, really. You're going to have the group that is private labeling products mm-hmm. um, with the manufacturers. So they're products that exist. Maybe you take them off the shelf as is and just put your branding on it and your own packaging and sell that. And that's a very legitimate business. Um, I see it with a lot of different companies. Um, That is not what we do. So those folks, it's easier to manage their supply chain because those POs don't have to be huge. You can, you know, they have readily available production lines of most of those products. So that's a different conversation. We are in the other camp, which is custom formulas for everything. And so any production Mm -hmm. run is done just for us. It can't be done in small quantities. You know, you're dealing with, you know, we own all of our own IP, we own our own formulas. Um, Those require large production runs to be able to Buy your yep. ownership. Basically, yep. it's either you pay a fee or you produce your way to ownership. So we produced our way to ownership, and so mm-hmm. for us, we have to really understand where our pain points are in terms of uh, possible bottlenecks, which have changed over time during the pandemic. A bottleneck was your stuff sitting in the LA port. You know, a component that you had brought in from overseas because some are just not available here, and it's got stuck on a ship literally for four months, right in LA at the port. So that happened to us. We'll call that a uh, more one-off situation. Your regular pain points, you got to figure out, like for me, it's, I know there are there's a particular component I have to get from one place because there is nowhere else for me to get it. And I know those production times are going to be long. I'm going to have to right. consider the, you know, the Chinese New Year, because basically componentry and cosmetics is almost all made overseas, right. you know, chipping times, all these different things. So I always make sure we have a plentiful stock of that pain point of that potential bottleneck because the rest is very easy to manage more or less right so you just understand kind of your your usage rates which shades are getting used faster um, and you forecast out when you're going to be running out of inventory and start you know reordering new production runs so that's the way we manage it it's probably not the most sophisticated system at this time but we also have purposefully chosen not to go into retail through retailers
0: Mm -hmm. um, your
1: traditional large box retailers either online or in person So it probably, we'd have to beef that up, obviously, if we wanted to work with them. Um, But since we don't, it works perfectly for how we operate. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's the way I've managed it. I'm sure I could get really fancy and spend a lot of time learning about supply chain management, which obviously I learned in business school and those things, but which apps, how to do this, whatever. But for us, Excel works just fine for the time being. Um, And then, because I also believe that people don't need to address an issue and till you know it's gonna be an issue very soon or it's an issue for you now. Because I think a lot of people try to get everything ready perfectly for something that may or may not ever be needed. And so I don't have the luxury of time or financial resources to do that. So, you know, we kind of do things as streamlined as possible.
0: Yeah, that's totally understandable, right? Uh, But one question would be now, how do you do the inventory forecasting for your future sales?
1: It's pretty easy. I mean, we don't have a tremendous number of SKUs, right? We've got, and this is another thing, a lot of brands will come out of the gates. A uh, stock keeping ske- unit. Sorry. Number. Oh, excuse in- We have what? Uh, nine, 10, 11,
0: 12, 12. Okay. Mm, that's- so
1: we just it- need to know. Yeah. I mean, we have two brushes, a towel, and nine shades, so mm. it's pretty easy for us to forecast. We know because we've been operating for two years now, we know which shades get purchased at what frequency. So it's mm-hmm. pretty straightforward for us and there's very little seasonality or issues with virality with our products. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's one of those things where we're not reliant on just going viral all the time. And so that makes things difficult to forecast. You know, we've had, we have gone viral. We've got videos that have over a million, you know, 1.3 million views or whatever. And yeah, let me tell you sales skyrocketed for a little while there, but that's not the way we operate our business. Our business is slow and steady organic growth. So we don't have huge spikes or. And it's, there's no seasonality. It's not a gifted product. It's not something we recommend ever gifting to somebody. It's generally not a recommendation we make <laughs> because, well, that's a whole other conversation. But, you know, yeah. so we deal a lot less with with the typical kind of bumps along the road and what to expect and will people do this. This becomes one of their makeup must-haves. And with mm-hmm. a must-have product, it's a lot easier to forecast.
0: Yeah, yeah, I understand. One last question about this would be like, are you using any like order or pre-order functionalities?
1: No, I know it's really popular um, for folks to do that you know oh we've run out of inventory or we have a wait list of whatever but if they're not disclosing to you what inventory they ran through it's kind of a useless metric I could say that 20 times if I just said okay I'm just going to make x number of units and say I'm out of stock right um so we don't really need to we, we don't create you know demand or excitement that way um okay. so we don't have a need for kind of you know set the sign up lists and then also I'm just somebody uses this product they probably have a need that's pretty immediate so promising them something in 6 months this isn't a handbag right where you can totally wait frankly i mean i don't want to diminish people's excitement and wanting their handbag right away cuz i certainly love a good handbag but this is something that you need immediately typically if the customer is finding you they need it right away so it doesn't good. serve them any benefit and it doesn't help us whatsoever Thanks, so sure, we sure. don't use those we don't use those they can be very effective ways of doing things for certain types of products
0: just not for ours Yeah, sure. That's totally understandable. Like Camille, before the actual recording, you were saying that the future is not really bright for the beauty brands. Can you elaborate more on that?
1: So, uh, you know, it's been a very wonderful democratization of business, if you will, over the last five, 10 years because Mm. of lowering, you know, barriers to entry to get into businesses. Now Shopify exists and, you know, it's easy to, you know, social media exists, all these things that were not around before. That's made it so that a lot of people have launched brands, which is yeah. so exciting. But the reality is it's a very crowded market. And for the reasons I was saying about, you know, capital markets, they basically dried up recently. So there are brands who are closing kind of every week, every other week. You're seeing brands closing. Um, and that's inevitable. I just think there's too much supply without the demand necessary. Um, so we'll see, you know, and then you have all the celebrities who decided similar to back in the 80s and 90s, you know, when I was a kid. They did all the perfumes, which real, people realized was a very lucrative business um, and a fantastic use of their platform and, and the, their, their brand value really lent itself well to that type of partnership. They're realizing and have realized that that works really well in, across beauty. So we've seen tons and tons. So now the little guys aren't just, you know, folks like me aren't just up against your traditional brands, but you're up against the celebrities and the professional makeup artists and the professional hairstylists. And so I just think at some point you're, you, it's inevitable. There's going to be a shakeout. Because folks are gonna run out of cash if they've relied on external capital, or the market will tell them, while your product is lovely and you're very passionate about it, this isn't really a huge pain point in this industry, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're if your whole thing is, I don't know, I'm making something up here, right? So if, and I feel bad, I love mascara, but I always use mascara as an example. If your whole thing is this fantastic mascara, eh, what happens when the next fantastic mascara comes along, right? And there are a lot of mascaras out there. So really, are you really solving the big pain point for folks? It's gonna be a hard sell. And so yeah. You know, so you're going to see a lot of brands who, while their products are exciting, probably just don't have legs to them in the long run because people will only pay for what they need after yeah. a certain point, right? So yeah. the the enthusiasm, people are quite fickle, right? Just like a restaurant, for a restaurant to stay in business for 30 years is really not common, you know, yeah. and they're always going to be shakeout. And so I think because of the run-up of brands we've seen who've launched and because of the inevitable lack of capacity to consume all of those products, you're just going to have to see a bunch of brands closing, which is unfortunate um, but yeah, a necessary part of, you know, a functioning capital, a functioning capitalist type of country. Can do?
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's totally understandable. And thanks for this, like, insightful explanation. But do you think this also applies to other direct-to-consumer industries apart from the beauty sector? Like some of the factors you mentioned, especially about the financial markets being dried up, applies to other markets as well, not only necessarily to the beauty sector, but also to other, like, D2C sectors, like apparel, I don't know, technology, everything else. Do you think the same danger is on the corner for other DTC brands?
1: I think it's always a danger for any brand. You know, there you have got tons of brands that launch and most don't make it. That's just the way it works. Um, yeah. So I have a feeling I'm not an expert in any CPG space, frankly, other than consumer goods at this point, like other than beauty uh, because I haven't worked in them, but I would hazard a guess to your point, it's probably yeah. going to be seen across the board um, in yeah. a variety of different, especially in the consumer goods space um, software. I, you know, I worked in software. Yes, some work, but software, you know, it's a completely different business model. So, um, so for other consumer, consumer goods, yeah, probably, you know, maybe not food, I don't know. But even then, you know, there's one green powder that comes out, you see it splashed all over social media, unless people are buying it, and they can pay up for all that splashiness. Six months later, you got somebody else splashing all over the headlines, you know, because it was a splash as opposed to uh, a long term, sticky business strategy. So, I think you're going to see it across the board in a lot of places, but that's just the cynic in me who's been through several big market cycles.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that may be. Uh, So Camille, thank you for this great insight. We are coming to the end of this podcast, but before that, I'd like to ask you about your tax stack. Like you, I know you mentioned that you're trying to stay lean in terms of your tax stack. You're trying to stay cash positive and all, but what are the Shopify tools that you use that maybe you cannot live without that creates the, like the maximum amount of value to so that you cannot like, let go of them.
1: Yeah. I mean, for us, everything is, is twofold. It's driven first and foremost by customer experience, customer experience, customer experience, period, end of story. Um, which is why we have such an easy return rate, no questions asked, easy return policy with no questions asked. And our return rate is well below 1%. I mean, well below 1%. It's almost comical. I don't believe it some days. Um, because I'm like, are people embarrassed? They don't want to return products. So, um, so for us, it's all about customer experience. So for us, that really involves making sure that we track shipping, making sure that, you know, so there are some great apps out there that folks can use, uh, like Wondermint or whatnot, um, where Shopify falls short. We all know these big platforms like Shopify, they basically have to operate with the minimum functionality to keep people on their platform, which is why you see so many third-party. And that's nothing bad. I'm not saying that in a negative way. It's just truth, um, which is why there's so many third-party apps Um, to fill in voids, but they're starting to do a great job of filling voids. So previously we used to use Clavio for all of our, um, Mm. for all of our email marketing. Well, Shopify set up Shopify marketing campaigns and flows. So we do it all through Shopify now. So we really try to keep as much in Shopify um, to the extent that we can. So we no, we don't need Clavio anymore. Um, now uh, Shopify also has their own shipping tracking. So it's great. It's yep. not sophisticated, but at least you see stuff is in transit, where it's at, has been delivered, whatever, which they didn't have before. You had to manually go and look in particular orders. Um, so we've kept that in there. You know, we used to rely on third-party agencies to do influencer outreach for our UGC content creation, but then Shopify launched Shopify Collabs, so we were able to do it ourselves. You know, so we've really leaned heavily on Shopify's apps um, and extensions that they have built out over the last kind of 12, 18 months. Um, yeah. There is a, a group, for example, called Tailory, which is a fantastic uh, group and an app that integrates that helps you source um, qualified leads for UGC. So. They have a whole platform, so I recommend to any and a very cost effective. I don't know any small brand who shouldn't be using them, frankly, mm-hmm. um, to do uh, UGC um, uh, creation. But they they vet folks and then they get to you and then they place the orders for you. So they basically, but it's all integrated in Shopify. Um, so the Tailory app has been fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then obviously product reviews and those types of things you have to pull in a third-party app. But uh, and for us, reviews are a big part of what we do. We, we don't yeah. screen our reviews. I mean, we look at them. We respond to them. We post every single review that comes in, period, end of story. So you love us, you hate us, it's going on the website. Because if there's one thing we've committed to our customers, and this is why it's all just customer, customer, customer first, is we're not the brand who's going to BS you. And I'm not implying that brands BS you, but I think it's for us because i'm very sensitive to the vulnerable emotional nature of our user base usually they i i'm i don't have it in me to do anything but be 100% laser focused and precise with the truth you yeah. got to let the truth speak for itself right and yeah, tell the product right. so for us you know so we also have a third party app for for reviews just to make sure that's streamlined but that's it's yeah. pretty simple we don't try to build out this really big tech stack we've had issues with things we've brought in i won't name names but they've you know had a great story and then they don't tell you something and then you've plugged it in and then your IT team is flipping out because there's a whole bunch of issues with it. So yeah. unless you have a robust backend team, I think it's easier to minimize your tech stack to the extent you can to get the job done. Won't yeah. be as sexy, won't be as elegant, but it gets the job done with yeah. minimal interruption,
0: which is key yeah, for customers. Of, yeah, it fits the way of you doing business, right? Trying to keep cash flow positive. Yeah. On your own channels,
1: scrappy, small and scrappy,
0: (laughs) yeah, small and scrappy, playing the long game here over there. Uh, so, like, Mm -hmm. Camille, for these great insights, I mean, I really appreciate the things that you have told. It really inspired me a lot, and it gave me a lot to think about after this, like, after this recording. So, thank you for being here and sharing your wonderful story. Anything else before we actually finish this?
1: I'm a big fan of sharing tools with folks or resources, especially I imagine it's a lot of small brand owners who may be listening to this. You know, um, to the extent that folks can go and find really good thought leaders, one that comes to mind that I love to share with folks is Eli Weiss. He oh, yeah. um, does a weekly or bi-weekly um, uh, email blast with details all about customer experience. He works for Joan Ro- Jones Road Beauty, and I think he was at Olipop before. Joan, uh-huh. Jones Road Beauty is Bobby Brown's uh, most recent launch of a beauty brand after her non-compete was over, after her previous brand uh, was, was uh, purchased decades ago. <laughs> um, and he has tremendous insights. They do a podcast as well. They have a weekly, and it's all free of charge. So I've found for, for small brands or bigger brands, frankly, they do a fantastic. Job. So I recommend everybody sign up for his newsletter. And I don't know the man. He doesn't know who I am from a hole in the wall. So there's no personal vested interest here, just helping resources. So that's something, you know, and just for folks to always think about their cash flow. You just got to assume things are gonna go well, but you have to prepare for when things do not go well. And because longevity is really the name of the game. Um, it's easy to be popular and splashy for two, three, five, six years? Can you make it past a decade? That's the question. And that's really the way you've got to think about your business. How do I keep this business in business for over a decade at least?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. Uh, So, I mean, I don't know what what else I can say. I wish you all the best and success in the future, but I already know that we will see VRMA Cosmetics products killing it out there in the coming days, years. Uh, So, Again, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your great story, Camille. It's really like interesting and inspiring to listen to you. So, for our listeners, remember to visit maCosmetics.com for wonderful hair products and to visit uh, like our website for the tools that we are Ma Cosmetics is using. Again, Camille, thank you for being here, and have a nice rest of today.
1: You too. It's a pleasure. Have a wonderful day.